this is what we normally do. Zach will ask me a question. So he would read Taylor's question to me, but basically it'll, he'll say, uh, you know, what are, what are the major, uh, major objections for the five core functional groups within the organization when we do DTMA? And then I'll say major objections to digital transformation by cross-functional group take zero. All right. All right, so Taylor asked this question, which is what are the major objections to digital transformation when you're doing a DTMA? So some quick background before I answer the question, what is a digital transformation maturity assessment? If you guys look at the iterative process for digital transformation, for getting an industry 3.0 company to become an industry 4.0 company, if you wanna know more about that, you'll be able to watch the video here. You can watch it up here, over here, down here, over here. The, the first two steps are inventory of the business and inventory of the intelligence in the organization, okay? And so to do that, we do a digital transformation maturity assessment, which is an engagement where we evaluate an organization top to bottom. And in a nutshell, this is how it works. We meet with five core groups in the organization. Um, now this could be at the plant level, it could be at the business unit level, it could be corporate. Sometimes it's a combination of both, but we basically meet with five core groups. We meet with operations, we meet with maintenance and engineering, we meet with the quality group, and we meet with the IT group, and we meet with leadership. What I always ask is that I ask the client to schedule the leadership meeting last. And we generally start with engineering and maintenance because they are going to be the easiest group to handle. They're the ones who are, they want to innovate more than anyone else in the organization. So that's generally a 90 minute session where we ask, a there's a specific set of questions. There's a specific set of questions for each, uh, each group that we ask. In a nutshell, it's what do you do? What tools do you, digital tools do you currently use to do your job? How do you consume data from the edge? How do you adjust to operational changes on the plant floor? How do external consumers access the data that you produce in your system? What are you really good at? What, are, what is your group good at? What is it not good at? What's missing? In a nutshell, those are the types of questions that we're asking. Now, from these five core sessions, we end up having breakouts. So there may be, they may talk about some piece of software or something that they're using that we want to take a deeper look at. But at the end, what we're doing is we're, we're giving them a maturity assessment as to where are you on your journey, number one, and number two, where are you and where do you want to go and how do you get there? What Taylor wants to know is, is when we're meeting with these individual groups, what are the core objections, questions, criticisms that are raised when we do our initial digital transformation presentation. There's like a 10 minute presentation at the beginning. And so I'm going to answer that group by group. All right. So the, the core, the core objection from operations, there are two core objections to digital transformation initiatives. Number one, is this the flavor of the month? Okay. So they will ask the question, why should we be invested in trying to improve the organization when over the course of my 25 years working here, executives have come and gone, engineers have come and gone. They've all, they've all had ideas. They've all implemented, uh, tried to implement solutions and they evaporated or they provided no value. Is this the flavor of the month? Number one. And number two, how do I benefit? Okay. So they, they raise those questions. Operations will ask the question, 
how are we going to benefit from it? And then in my answer, my response to both of them is this. This is not the flavor of the month because this isn't a project. It's not a piece of software. It's not a solution. It's a, it's a fundamental strategy for running the business differently, okay? Digital transformation is a strategy for changing the way that you operate by driving decisions based on real-time data and information, okay? Number two, how do I benefit? Your job gets easier, number one. And number two, you get to focus on the problems that you've identified 20 years ago, but you don't e either don't have the manpower or you don't have the time to focus on the real problems. All you're doing is putting out fires. All you're doing is reacting, right? My response to them is, no, it's not the flavor of the month. And the way that you benefit, your job gets easier, okay? It also gets more interesting, okay? When it comes to maintenance and engineering, the objections with maintenance and engineering are very few, okay? This is normally the group that is most excited, okay? It's most excited. They're the ones who stand to benefit immediately from digital transformation far more than any other group in the organization. But the, the, number, one, the number one objection or the number one question that comes up in the maintenance and engineering group is, how can we trust the data? And what they mean is there are certain organizations that do not trust digital data. There are, for example, I mean, we were meeting with a client a few months ago and one of their process engineers said that a huge piece of her job is to just go confirm that the data, that the digital data that showed up on some report can be trusted. It's true that the results that showed up on the report is actually what happened. So they're using human beings to manually confirm that which you collected automatically, okay? But what they really mean is this, let's say that the digital data that in, for maintenance and engineering, we're gonna calculate, there's two values we're gonna calculate for these guys. Mean time to repair and mean time between failure. And we're gonna do that at two layers. Layer number one is the machine itself. When a machine goes into a downtime event, how long does it take for it, for it to come back to the next rising edge to start running? What's that average? What's the mean? And then mean time between failure is when it starts running, how long does it run before it goes back down? That's mean time between failure. But you also do that in an upper level. And there's an MTTR and there are an MTBF calculations for maintenance personnel and engineering personnel that are, is a function of when they started to repair a piece of equipment or start working on a piece of equipment. It's an abstracted value directly above the, the individual machine event. So when, you, when you, this goes to availability, when a machine is down, you have two things. You have the raw machine data, but then you also have the human data. When, do, when, did the, when was the maintenance department notified of the issue? When was engineering notified of the issue? When did someone show up? When someone showed up, how long did it take for them to repair it? Once they had it repaired, when did we resume production? You do MTBF and MTTR at, two, at multiple layers, the machine layer and directly above. And this, this drives concern in maintenance and engineering groups that if they're going to be making very important decisions about the business, about which equipment to, make, uh, to invest in, in improving, how can they know that they trust the data? Does, that's the number one question that comes out of maintenance and engineering. The quality group is, the number one objection from the quality group is, what do you know about quality? They just want to know, they're bona fides? Yes. All right, so in certain verticals, in certain verticals, 
the quality group, they, the quality organization or the quality department believes that their organization sells quality. Okay. They, they don't believe that they, they don't think of it as they sell a product, but what they sell is actual quality. If you want to know the two most difficult groups to work with in any organization, it's these groups right here. It's the quality group and it's the IT group. I mean, everybody already knows the IT group because everyone deals with IT, but not everyone deals with quality. The, the way that you have to allay the concern of the quality group is you have to demonstrate to them that you know what it is they actually do, that you know what an actual sample definition is, that you know what the Nelson rules are, that you know what the Westinghouse rules are, you know what, what's the difference between defining what a sample collection is and then what doing a collection is, what's the difference between an upper spec limit and an and a upper control limit, what is a control chart? What's its purpose? You have to demonstrate to the quality group because the quality groups operate as silos all the time. Why? Because the only people in the organization who know anything about the mechanics of quality are the people who work in the quality department. And so the number one objection that they raise is, how can you digitally transform our entire organization if you know nothing about what it is that we do? So the only way that of what they do in their department. Got it, got it. So the only way you're going to overcome that objection is to demonstrate that you know what it is they do in the quality group. And if I just said a bunch of terms like Nelson rules and Westinghouse rules and upper spec limit and lower spec limit and upper control and lower control, a sample definition, sample collection, sample interval. If I'm saying all these terms and you don't know what those terms are, understand that you're going to be looking like a deer in headlights when they ask this question in that meeting. Okay. Right. IT. <laughs> what does everyone think that their biggest objection is going to be? How is it secure? <laughs> how, how secure is it? Okay. So, and why can't we use open source? Or... No, why can't we use X? Okay. All right. So, I'm going to skip the security question here for just a second. One of the top questions that we get in the IT department or the major objection, and I would say in, in digital transformation maturity assessments, if I'm going to get yelled at or one of our architects is going to get yelled at in one of these sessions, it's going to be in this session, okay? IT departments, they have a monopoly. So one of the questions that I ask in the IT meeting is, do you have a monopoly on IT services in your organization? That's one of the questions. And what I'm asking is, do the people in your organization have the option to, get outside. to go to an outside vendor for their IT solutions as long as they are compliant with your security requirements, okay? If the answer is no, and it's nearly always no, IT normally has a complete monopoly on IT services and infrastructure, then what you, you know that you are dealing with people who have absolute power. Okay. And absolute power does what? It corrupts absolutely. corrupts absolutely. Okay. So you know that you're dealing with people who tell you what to happen and you never, you know, question number two is I will ask them, what is the, what is the uh, IT department's mandate? And they'll ask me, what do you mean? And I'll say, are you a security and compliance organization or are you a service organization? And they'll say, we're both. And then I'll say, which one are you first? Are you compliance and security 
first and service second, or are you service first and compliance and security second? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then when they don't, when they want clarification, I may say, do people joke that the chief technical officer is the CT? No. Okay. So, you know, do you say no first? Here's one of the things that I will do in, in the IT meeting. I will ask them how long it takes to get a virtual machine spun up in your organization. So let's say I want a <laughs> VM spun up so I can install a piece of software, do some testing. And they'll always tell me, by the way, the IT department will always tell me that they can do it in a day. Yeah. And, then I'll, and then I'll say to them, um, but if I go ask somebody on the plant floor how long that'll take, how long do you think they'll tell me? And they'll say, months. oh, it could three months, you know, <laughs> yeah. six months or whatever. And then what I will do is I will, I will, in that presentation, I will go to Vulture and I will spin up a virtual machine in 90 seconds. Literally in 90 seconds, I will launch a, a virtual machine and, I will, and, I, and that machine will be running while I'm in the middle of explaining to the IT department the, the merits of being a service organization, enabling employees in the organization to do more with less, right? And the IT department, I hear crickets after I spin up that machine in 90 seconds. There's nothing. So what I'll say is that you told me that the best case scenario is I can get it in a day. Your people on the plant floor are telling me it takes three months. You tell me how your IT department can compete if I'm, if I'm competing against you and I can do it in 90 seconds. Tell me how you compete. Tell me how you compete. And I'll hear dead silence. Because well, they're a monopoly. Right. They're a monopoly. We don't have to yeah. compete. So then <laughs> well, they'll there, say- There well, was how... that one guy who asked why we would need to spin one up in 90 seconds. <laughs> and, it would, and, I, and I would say, and my answer to him is, because you don't know the job that I do. That's why. Um, but here, the how, how secure, so th this is where the how secure is it will come. This is where the four, this is my response is always in this place is the same. There are four fundamental principles of the industry 4.0 infrastructure. Needs to be edge-driven, report by exception, lightweight, and open architecture. Needs to be edge-driven. So if what I want to do is create an infrastructure where I can plug things into um, a, uh, my infrastructure, then I have to make it so that I, I am not going to make my, my plant network insecure. So the reasons that we pick MQTT because it's edge driven is because I can, I can make it so that as long as you give me permission to allow this to connect to this, I don't have to give permission for this to connect to that. I have not created any insecure environment by allowing something on the plant floor to talk out to something at a higher level in the security stack. Okay. So when I tell them the four core principles of edge-driven, report-by-exception, lightweight, open architecture, those four things, they speak to two different people. They speak to the IT department, okay? I'm, I'm going to keep your network secure. I'm also not going to keep it too busy, okay? And I'm going to make it accessible, interoperable. But I'm also speaking to the executive leadership team because I'm saying the other times that your digital transformation initiatives have failed because you hit a critical mass, you couldn't get all the data you wanted, you had to throttle it down because you're trying to pull too much stuff. By using these four core principles, you don't run into that critical mass. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to two, two groups with that response. The second thing is, why can't we use X? 
the, the objection they'll why raise, why can't I use Wonderware? Why can't I use OPCUA? Why can't I use, they'll ask over and over and over again, why is it they can't already, they can't use something they're already paying for? And the answer is sometimes they can. And in fact, I just did a presentation yesterday where the recommendation for the proof of concept was gonna be using four components based on a tech stack and three of them they already own. There was one that was gonna be new and that was the Canary Labs historian. They had OSI Pi. They asked, why can't we use OSI Pi? And I had to explain to them because OSI doesn't publish out. OSI is a monolith. They, they don't publish out over MQTT. They consume over MQTT, but they don't publish the context out. And there's no mechanism for you to take the context, asset frames, event frames, all that kind of stuff, and, it, and, and get it in the, get that context in the hands of external applications that are not part of the OSI Pi partner network, okay? So that's the second most common question or objection. Why can't we use X? The other thing that they might say in there is who the fuck do you think you are? I mean, they, they literally, I, I have gotten that. I've gotten, I mean, I literally have gotten people, you know, shots across the bow um, many, many, many times. Yeah. Oh, Vaughn's been on half the calls where that happens. Um, I cannot tell you how many members of IT departments I've gotten fired. I, I, I wouldn't need, I, I probably have four chief technical officers now at this point over the last two years, literally got fired. One got fired in front of me. They asked me to leave the room and then the board dismissed him from the board in executive session while I was sitting in the hallway. And then they called me back in. Okay. I mean, one was that another one was, a um, the director of it. Um, so to be clear, you're yep. okay with sacrificing one job to create more jobs. I am willing. I never suggest that someone should be fired. What I do say is this initiative is not going to be successful with that person in the role that they're in. Don't let your staff get in the back. Right. You got to work around this person. I mean, that's part of what we're getting hired for. And then the last one is leadership. What do you guys think leadership's top objection is? ROI. Yes. What's the ROI? <laughs> okay. So here's what I, and here's how I respond to that one. When they say, what's the ROI? What's the top objection with the leadership group? My answer, I do two things. Number one, I say, you have to understand, let's go back to our core principles of digital transformation. It's a strategy. It's not a project. Okay. That doesn't mean that we're going to be, we're not going to be able to quantify ROI on a case by case basis through the iterative process. I want to add these dashboards. I want to collect this data. I want to do this machine learning use case. You're going to be able to quantify that. But we cannot quantify for you the ROI for the entire strategy. That's There is no way to do that because it's an iterative process. I don't know everything you want today because what you want today is a function of what you know today. Tomorrow, you will know something different. Digital transformation is about exponentially increasing the collective knowledge of your organization on a daily basis. And if what you want is a function of what you know, then as what you know grows, what you want changes. And if I have to calculate ROI for you for the entire strategy, I can't do that. But what I can do is I can show you this case study for this organization. And here's what we did. And I use, I use a very common case study for a project we did like three years ago. That was a intern you know, in most of the mentorships and those and members of mentorship and digital mastermind have seen this case study where uh, basically an intern hired us to do digital transformation in one core area for this tier, um, this tier one automotive supplier. 
He didn't get permission. He had $250,000 left over. He had five production lines. He had 47 machines, 47 PLCs. It needed integration, connect connectivity to all the equipment. It needed, um, you know, full stack. So he got approval directly above his head to use the $250,000 he had left over from another capital project to have us do this digital transformation on this, this production line. It took a year to do the integration because we didn't have buy-in outside of this guy's department. So we had to work around a bunch of stuff. Then we started collecting data of January of 2017. We presented the dashboards. Uh, it wasn't just dashboards. It was actually analysis tools, the whole nine. In January of 2017, we came back in six months to, to monitor, to look at the data. So what we looked at was the improvement of OEE, the decrease in waste, the increase in production. That's what we looked at. And we charted it. If you guys are in mentorship, you've seen this because I've showed you this specific case study. They, it took them 60 days to six months to get OEE from in the 40s up into the 80s. It took them 60 days to get, uh, or it took them about a year to get their waste from 35,000 units a month down to 500 units a month. It took them about uh, eight months to go from uh, 35,000 units of production per month to 70,000 per month in total units. At the end of the 18 months, that $250,000 investment yielded a $25 million return of which they took that $25 million and invested in their full North American digital transformation initiative, hired 60 something engineers. They deployed to their sites in Minnesota and Michigan, and they did a full deployment. I will show that case study. The other thing that I will do is I'll do a theoretical discussion and I will say, and I'll do this first. I will say, CEO, so-and-so, where did you get your MBA? And they all, and it's always one of three places, right? So they either got it at Yale, they either got it at Wharton or they got it at Harvard, right? So they, and I will ask them, what was Apple's ROI on the iPhone when they pitched it in 2006? So when Steve Jobs was making the decision whether to invest $200 million into the development of the Apple iPhone, what was the ROI? There wasn't one. Yeah. Yeah, Apple know. doesn't do market analysis. They don't do, they don't do market studies. They don't allow the market to drive. They create products that, yeah, no, that yeah. and then they convince you that you need it. Okay. But then I really fuck them up by asking them this question. <laughs> this is where I really fuck them up. What's the ROI for you? How much money has your smartphone since 2007 saved or created for you? What's the ROI? Yeah, it's, 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 it's intangible. Is it it's, it's, the answer it's, it's is, the answer is you couldn't even measure it today. You know it's valuable. You know it's incredibly valuable. You know you do more work today than you did in 2007. You know that you are better connected. You're more aware of your, your health, your financial stability, everything. But you can't quantify it for me. That's the value of data. You were printing out MapQuest? That's the value of data. I remember those days. So, so with that, the, my, here's my point. My point is, is that if you're a solutions architect and you're going to be doing digital transformation maturity assessments, okay, we talk about, this is one of the reasons we talk about um, multi-stack fluency. When we talk about, you know, stop, stop um, specializing in one layer of the stack and gain fluency 
at every layer in the automation stack. The reason why you need to have that fluency is so you can answer these questions for cross-functional groups within the organization. Because check it out, these, all, these groups all operate in different layers. See these guys here? These guys all operate in the PLC, SCADA, MES layer. These guys operate in the ERP and cloud layer, both groups, right? Uh, all five groups operate in different layers in the stack. So anyway, Taylor, thank you for asking the question as to what are the major objections to digital transformation across these cross-functional groups? The answer is there are lots of objections. Most of the time, it's more curiosity. Um, certainly at the operations layer, the maintenance engineering group, it's curiosity. These are normally, these are generally the two groups who need the help the most. The quality group, once you convince them, you know what their job is, they're definitely interested in hearing what you have to say. Why? Because the quality group is missing one key, one key element in their toolbox, one tool in their toolbox. Does everybody know what it is? It's real-time data from the equipment. The quality group is always missing the actual raw events from the machines, okay? And if they do have raw events from the machines, it's, you know, it's, it's barely the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they need, okay? Um, the IT group, most of the time they're leaving the meeting conspiring how they're gonna derail this initiative, okay? I mean, in most cases, that's what's happening. We go in knowing that, we prepare our customer for that. Listen, we're trying to identify the one person in the IT group who's gonna advocate for this, and then we're gonna leave everybody else out, and they're gonna be the only one involved in the proof of concept, right? When you do your proof of concept, you're building a team of like-minded thinkers, including a team made up of people that your client has in their facility. But you wanna make sure that everyone who's, who's working towards winning the results war as opposed to fighting the theoretical battles that they are not going to undermine you in any way, shape or form, at least in the national stages right. of the implementation. And the leadership cares about one thing and one thing only, okay? And, that, and they have a fiduciary responsibility to care about this, by the way. It doesn't make them bad people. They care about the bottom line and that is their job. I wanna close with one last thing, okay? When it comes to leadership, here's a little inside baseball. Almost always when I'm in this meeting, this is the board of directors. This is almost always the people who run the actual company, okay? My primary goal, my primary goal when I go into that meeting is I wanna understand what their vision is, okay? I wanna know what is the vision of the leadership, okay? My secondary goal is I wanna find out what kind of leaders they are. There are two types of leaders in manufacturing, okay? There are leaders who believe that people who work on the plant floor are interchangeable. There are leaders who believe that you can create administrative and engineering controls so that you can change human beings out and it's not gonna matter, okay? That's obviously folly. I mean, it's obviously absurd. Anybody who's worked on the plant floor knows that the smartest people in the organization are the ones who are working on the plant floor. They could, if you just listen to them, they would solve all your problems. I mean, honestly, they really would. The other type of leader understands that. And what we wanna know is what kind of leadership group they have. Do they have a leadership group who is figuring out a way to enable you to save us money? Or is this the type of leadership group who thinks they care about you, the human being? How can I expect that? 
value. Right. But how can I maximize the value I get out of you the same way I maximize the value I get out of this piece of software? They, they see you as a functional role as opposed to someone who provides both direct and indirect value. Okay. And by the way, that's very important to understand in that meeting. It's very important to walk away. And, and my, my team will tell you, we walk out of those sessions, we'll have a debrief out of each of these sessions and we'll define the groups. You know, what, where, was there a person in IT who's going to be our champion? Does leadership believe it's their job to enable you to solve problems, right? Give you the tools you need. You know, do they believe that the ERP investment was a good investment? You know, we're, we're really happy when the leadership team starts bitching about SAP. That's when we're, we know we're good. Once they start bitching, we spend way too much for it. And most of the stuff they promised us, they can't give us. Okay. So, all right. Uh, anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Is there anything else you want me to close with? Oh, wait, Zach always asked me to do this guys. Make sure you hit like subscribe, share with your friends. By the way, I don't care if you like or subscribe either of them. But Zach really does care about this. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Thank you.